since this is a, a week that we have devoted to ministry to kids and uh, by way of VBS, uh, I'm going to break away from the series that I've been on uh, dealing with the Sermon on the Mount that are titled uh, Building on the Rock. And I'm going to break away from that this morning. And I want to speak from this passage. Um, I, I want to talk to you about things related to kids. And uh, so thankful for children that are a gift from the Lord. I've got a few amens. Children are a gift from the Lord. And uh, amen. Remember, you were a child once. <laughs> you believe you're a gift, right? So uh, anyway, um, we're still just kids. We just like bigger, more expensive toys, right? But uh, I want you to read along with me. Exodus, I'm going to read through uh, most of chapter 1 and, and get into chapter 2. So just follow along. I'm going to begin with verse 6. Exodus 1, verse 6. And it says, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and, multiply, and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will be, become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar with all kinds of work in the fields, and in all their labor and all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let these boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went. And got the baby's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. How many of you moms would like that? And so the woman took the baby and nursed him. You are being paid. It's just not maybe in this way. Right? And uh, God's going to reward you. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So, uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. How many of you say amen? So, praise God. So, I want to speak to you this morning related to kids, things connected with kids and, and their importance and, and what's at stake. I want to speak to you about fighting for the future because uh, how many of you know that uh, the future is wrapped up in those little ones? Right? That's where, the, that's where the future is. It always is. Every generation, it's always wrapped up in those little ones. 
And uh, so thank God. I thank God for all of you who work in the nursery, those that are working there today, those of you who work in children's ministry and help pour into these kids and uh, helping them. I'm telling you, you are pouring into the future. You're fighting for the future. Yeah? And, uh, and you're paving the way. And so we, we need to just appreciate all of those who are helping to do that. Amen? And uh, so, praise the Lord. So let me let me let me just dive into this a bit this morning, and I've totally changed gears from what I was originally thinking leading into today, but I feel like it's so necessary and fo- and, and so needed. But um, the first thing that I wanna I wanna draw attention to: how many know that all Scripture is applicable to today? And and we learn even the Old Testament. The Old Testament was given; it's a shadow of the things to come to be fulfilled and is given as examples for us. And the Word of God is alive and active, right? From Genesis to Revelation. And so it's powerful. And so I want to I want to bring I want to bring this story. I want us to go back and kind of see and feel what was happening, but also bring it in today to today and see what we might pull from it, we might learn from it. And I want to share three different things to with you related uh, from this story. And and the first thing that I want to say is this. Pass down what God has given. Pass down what God has given. And, um, and we're all just in the process or should be just passing the baton, right? That whatever we have, we're passing it down and, uh, and handing it off to the, to the next generation. I want to I point out here what's mentioned in verse 8 of what we read. Chapter 1, verse 8. All right? You listen? It says this. It says, Then a new king, a new Pharaoh, came in to power. This new Pharaoh, this new king, is marked by one thing, by one outstanding feature, by one characteristic. It wasn't his looks. It wasn't his charisma. It wasn't his background. It's not his pathway to power. It wasn't some great military accomplishment. It wasn't some battle that he won or some major uh, major uh, event or anything of the sort. It wasn't his knowledge or his wisdom. In fact, it was what he didn't know. He didn't know Joseph. That's the only distinguishing characteristics that that were given about this new Pharaoh, about the new leader. He didn't know Joseph. Big deal, right? I mean, I can think of a lot of things, you know, that you could, okay, he didn't know Joseph. All right, didn't know Joseph. I don't know a lot of people. You don't know a lot of people. What's the big deal? The big deal is about who Joseph is is and who he was, how important he was, what a huge figure. Because Joseph was a man of God, he was a prophet of God that had been mightily used of the Lord to help not only Egypt but the entire region at that time. It was by God's power that Joseph had interpreted and, and had foretold the future of events. He interpreted dreams, he, he, he revealed what the dreams represented of a previous Pharaoh, and as he did that, he revealed what was about to come, that there would be seven years of plenty, and then it would be followed by seven years of famine. And it was by God's power that this man, Joseph, implemented a divine plan that would result in the, in the saving of an entire nation and the region. Egypt was spared, and peoples from the whole area would come, including the Hebrew people, the people who would be known as Israel, that they were spared because of what God revealed to this man by the name of Joseph. So this, this, this man, this Joseph, was known and respected by everyone. When he would go down, I mean, people were just showing him the, the greatest amount of respect, even bowing and, and uh, you know, doing, putting things on the, on the ground in front of him, flowers, whatever, you know, all those wonderful displays to show honor and, and respect for this man. And because he lived in such a way, he was lifting up, his life was bringing glory to the Lord. He wasn't taking any of this credit for himself. He was always pointing to God, letting people know the reason he had these abilities was the help of God. It wasn't he himself. Amen? How many know it's all important for us to do that? God's given things to us, and he accomplishes things through us, and it's so important that we let people know that it's by the power of God we're able to do these things. Have you realized that you can't even do your basic job come tomorrow morning or this afternoon without the help of the Lord? And so glorify God in what you do and how you do what you do. And uh, even showing up on time, things like that. Somebody said, 
Amen. <laughs> All right. So he was known, this man's known for that one thing, what? That he did not know Joseph, this man of God. You see, as the, as the years passed, this man that had been so prominent, and, and so talked about and revered, kids, kids, you know, putting posters on their wall. This is Joseph. You're like, want to be like him. You know, talk about heroes. Everybody's got their heroes, right? And uh, Joseph was one of those type of characters. Everybody wanted to be like him. Kids wanted to grow up to be like him. But as the years passed by, the man of God and the blessings of God were forgotten. And a new leader comes in, and that new leader was representing a new era that did not know Joseph. Now the Hebrew people, by and large, remembered him. But the community of Egypt and other areas had forgotten him. How many of you know that America has been a melting pot of various people through the years? Right? And, uh, and I, I pray, you know, God's people still remember. But largely the culture has, has forgotten. And God help us. that how many, God cares about every person, every one of us. Amen? He wants everybody to know the Lord. And that's why God, I believe, chose Egypt to work through the most powerful nation at that time. And that God would send Joseph there. God could have done that miracle anywhere. But he wanted to bring God's people into Egypt so that he could get himself into the people there. And what an incredible opportunity. But after just a few leaders have passed, they have all but forgotten the man of God and forgotten God himself. Who here, who, who, who here knows what Coca-Cola is? Anybody? <laughs> All right. A little harder. Who here knows what Arcbuckles is? Arbuckles. Who knows what Arbuckles is? Arbuckles? What? Anybody? Anybody know Arbuckles? One? Not one? These these. It's related to a drink also. And they started at the same time. In fact, it might have even been a couple decades earlier. It was just after the Civil War era that both of those came into existence. Um, I think it was in May 1986 that Coca-Cola, the first Coca-Cola was served. And it was a couple decades before that, I believe, that this other product was served. You know what it is? Coffee. Arbuckle's coffee. I hadn't heard of it either, so that's it. <laughs> but, but it's a brand of coffee that began just after the post-Civil War era. Two, era, two brothers, John and Charles Buckle, Arbuckle, initiated a new concept, get this, a new concept in coffee industry, selling roasted coffee in one-pound packages. Imagine that. Until that time, coffee was sold green, and it had to be roasted in a skillet over an open fire or in an oven, but they had the idea to be able to and to be able to initiate a way that you could do it ahead of time and it could keep in a bag and it was already roasted and you'd have to go through those extra steps. It was inconvenient, and so cowboys loved it. Marvin, I was, I was really I really thought you would know what Arbuckles was, but anyway, you'll be, but uh, but Arbuckles, and uh, so nobody knows. And and there was a there was a executive from from Coca Cola out of Texas. And he talked about the fact that a percentage of every bottle of Coca-Cola that is sold, a percentage of that is spent on advertising. When's the last time you recognized, noticed a can of Arbuckles? And it's still out there, by the way. And it might be making a comeback. But how many of you ever noticed it? Obviously not, because you don't know what it is, right? It was not there. What was the difference? They, and the, the executive from Coca-Cola was just, he was just given a hard time by, look how much, look how much money. Aren't you guys overdoing it? I mean, aren't you, aren't you just over-promoting? The guy talk, talking with him talked about being in a small town and said, man, I go up down our street and there's 13 different signs and places where you're advertising Coca-Cola. Like, what are you guys trying to do? It's like we're trying to advertise and sell our product. And he said, the reason you know about Coca-Cola and you don't know about Arbuckles is because we believed in advertising and Arbuckles didn't. If there is anything that ought to be advertised, it's the wonderful news of Jesus Christ. 
the good news of Jesus Christ. And we cannot assume, church, that it's just going to happen. But we've, if, if we took it as seriously, if the whole church took it as seriously as Coca-Cola did. I, I've, been, I've been places all the world. I don't care whether you go to Uruguay, El Salvador, Haiti, um, uh, uh, Tanzania, Kenya, wherever. Wherever I've been, I mean, out in the middle of bush, out in the middle of nowhere, you know what they have? Coca-Cola. <laughs> Coca-Cola. Everywhere. They're trying to get Coca-Cola everywhere. All over. Oh, God. Help us. How many of us are trying to get Jesus everywhere? And trying to advertise. Trying, that's what we're doing, basically, right? You could call it something else. Yeah, we're testifying. We're telling the story. But it's all about advertising about God. Telling about the goodness of God. Telling what God has done. Who He is, right? Why we need Him. The benefits of knowing the Lord. The blessings of knowing God. That is, He's what life is all about. How many of you are telling about God? What have, what have we done this week to glorify God, to tell somebody, to share with somebody about the goodness of the Lord? Let's not, if we don't, guess what? There will be a new king, a new leader that will step into power that doesn't know. And that will be the marked difference. Can I tell you that really we're in a time today, even America, where people really don't know. They really don't know. Yeah? If we want the kids of the next generation to know God, we need to begin to take it seriously. We begin to pour into their lives. And I want to say it begins in the home. And the home must not depend upon the minister or the children's pastor or the youth pastor or the Sunday school teacher or the small group leader or whatever to get it done. That responsibility lands squarely at the feet of every mom and every dad. To let it begin at home, because I'm going to tell you, listen, the best way for it to sell, so to speak, if you want to use that terminology, is to let them see it in your life. Let them see it demonstrated, right? Let them see it lived out, that God is real, and they know that because you're talking with Him, you're singing to Him, you're giving Him thanks, you're relying on Him, and when you run into problems or trouble, they hear you calling on Him rather than just calling somebody on the phone. You're calling on the name of the Lord, you're on your knees, you're in God's book more than anything else, amen? They see you doing it, they see you loving on your God, they see you living out God's presence, they see you living out God's characteristics, right? I was reading this last week, listening to one of the great uh, leaders of our of our nation and, and various. There's, I'm so thankful for the many ministries that we have, um, and uh, but this particular gentleman, um, he too, he had just Jesus modeled before him by by his father. And, and how his dad poured into his life, how he prayed with them in the morning and how he prayed with them at night and how he invested in their life. And, and this man began to take it for granted. And he began to get all caught up in his work and his business. And began to, he realized that he was neglecting his own kids. He realized it really hit him in the face. And one day he sat down in his office and, and there was a letter on his office. And when he opened it up, it was a letter from his daughter asking if he would have time to have an appointment with her. And he realized he had gotten way off course and he had failed to begin to invest, to advertise, to begin to pour into what was most important and that was the generation coming up, right? Into the future, his very own kids. And so he began to learn from that and he poured them, he challenged them and, uh, and he told them this and when they were nine years old, he told them, he said, listen, he said, I'll make you a deal. He said, you're going, to be, you're going to begin to drive, you know, about 16 years old. And he said, if you will memorize two books of the Bible, it's got to be one of the books that's more than one chapter. <laughs> I, I think, the, I think the, the shortest was like five chapters. Um, and, uh, but if you'll memorize two books of the Bible when you're 16, I will get you a car. And uh, they all, uh, they agreed to it, and he agreed to help them. And so they worked from that point on, from nine years old, and began to, he began to work with them and help them memorizing the books of the Bible that they had chosen, and they memorized that. And when they turned 16, he got them a car, but the biggest gift was not the car. They were more rejoicing and still rejoicing today over the fact of the spiritual investment that they had the spiritual gift that they received of the word of God in their life amen folks you hear what I'm talking about I'm hearing about talk I'm hearing about, I'm talking about passing it down 
passing down the things of God, that they are not forgotten, and that we're taking personal accountability for that, and that we're pouring that into people. It's my greatest desire. I, I just love when I'm able to talk about God or the things of God, and I'm able to share with somebody, and somebody's just saying, hey, give me more. I'm like, yeah, hey, how long do you want to stay? You know, we'll stay all night. It just, you just feed on that, amen? Somebody that's hungry, and you want to you do it. And man, I'm going to listen, while your kids are hungry, Make sure that you're feeding them, that you're passing down the things that they really need. Because if you don't, they're going to soon develop an appetite for something else or something that they see that you really love and they'll develop an appetite for that and they'll begin to hunger for that and thirst for that and go after that. And then one day when you realize you missed it and, and you say, you know, oh man, we need to be thirsting after God. They're like, you know, Dad, I kind of like this over here. Just saying. It's not Father's Day yet, but anyway, it's good message leading up to that how many agree we need to pass it down okay all right now um there's a we go on a little bit farther in the story and we read here where pharaoh says in verse 16 he says when you help the hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool if it's a boy kill him but if it's a girl, let her live. That's just hard to believe. It's just hard to believe. But I mean, just like some of the stuff we talked about, just the trafficking that's going on today, I, I just can't believe it. It's just hard to believe, but it's real. And this was real. When you help the Hebrew women in childbirth, if it's a boy, kill him. First, Pharaoh had tried to afflict the adults. And, um, I mean, just tried to make life really hard for them. But that didn't work. How many know that God's blessing overrides anything the enemy tries to do against us? And the more they begin to oppress the people, the Hebrew people, the more they begin to oppress them, the more God blessed them. They were trying to oppress them so that they would keep their numbers down. The population wouldn't grow. You know what happened? <laughs> they began to give them a hard time. You know what? They became more fruitful than ever. I mean, fertile myrtles all over the place. I mean, you know, everybody's pregnant. It's, everybody was pregnant. We had that, we had that in certain times here. We go through seasons. It's like everybody in the church is pregnant. You know, <laughs> the nursery's full. It's like, man, okay. You know, God, do it again. Amen. God, do it again. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, but that's what that was happening. But when that didn't work, when that didn't work, he turned his attention towards the kids. Wherever God and the ways of God are not valued, the kids are at risk. I'm going to say it again. Wherever God and the ways of God are not valued, valued kids are at risk. How many of you believe our kids are at risk today? Now, as I said, the whole community was at risk, but the kids in particular... Proverbs 29.2 says this, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people mourn. They may not even realize it, but when godly influencers govern, because it's truly godly influence, there is a concern for everybody, everybody's health, everybody's well-being. Right? But when ungodly influences govern, the concern shifts to personal agendas. Are we not saturated with that today? Right? All the individual groups and everything going after their own agendas. And man, you, you, talk, about, you talk about a self-centered, narcissistic bunch of people. I, I don't think there's anybody worse at it than the pharaohs. How many of you like to see the great, the great uh, pyramids of Egypt? I mean, like I said, I, I'd love to go see it. I'd like to see it. I mean, incredible, incredible monuments and how they did that, how they pulled that off with those great structures in that day with the limited equipment, no electricity, right? All that, how they did that, just amazing. But do you know what they are? They're huge, massive, expensive tombs. Are you, you talk about self-centered, narcissistic people. Can you imagine the amount of people 
who spent their lives building these pyramids, who lost their lives, who were injured, who were crippled for life, the amount of monies and fortunes that went into doing that, the amount of time that it took to do that for one man's big ego that you could provide a nice-looking tomb. Lord, help us. But that's what happens. When you take God out of the picture... All of a sudden, somebody else is going to want to take his place, and they're going to be in the place of God, and they'll be the one that wants to be glorified and lifted up. And, folks, that's why we got to guard ourselves, that we continue to lift it up for the Lord, right? It's important to remember that in the previous years, the Hebrews, the Hebrews were a valued part of society in Egypt. The people considered them an incredible asset and blessing to the community. And it's something after things shifted that instead of being a blessing, that they became a threat. Does that sound familiar? Sadly, in America even, Christianity that's been seen and the church has been seen as such a blessing has now been seen as a threat or as a weight to society. Oh, God, help us. Help us. Amen? Help us, Lord. But that's how quickly things can turn upside down. But there was something good happening in the midst of this. Pharaoh gives this order, and he has a couple of ladies there that, that's working for him. And their job is to rush to the, to the women's houses or who are giving birth. And if it's a boy, take him out. And, uh, but these ladies had something great going for them. That is, they feared God more than they feared man. Amen? And they said, we're not going to do it. And when they refused to do that, folks, do you realize they were literally, literally risking their lives by defying Pharaoh? Now, they give us an excuse, and whether that was the whole truth or partial truth, or that happened some of the time, or whether that was a cover-up, it's, it's hard to say. But one way or another, they intentionally did not take out those baby boys. And God saw that, the boys were protected, and God rewarded these midwives for their actions. He blessed them for it. And I'm going to say, as we're moving in a time today where two, where new leadership, where, and, and I'm not talking about any particular, don't, don't misread me, I'm not talking about any particular party or anything. Folks, we've been dealing with this for decades. We're the leaders that God is not number one. He's not priority. Folks, we need revival in our nation. We need a people to turn back to God, amen, that they know who He is, that they honor who He is, amen. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. It doesn't matter what title you put behind your party or your name. Amen? Right? And so, Lord, help us. But these ladies stood in. And how you realize today, some of you are being tied. I know those of you in, in whatever office, I mean, whether you're in law enforcement, whether you're teachers, whether you're in the medical field or whatever, so many, so many things, you're going to have to take a risk to sometimes stand up for the things that are holy and right Amen? Where there are, are, are morals and godly morals at stake and religious ethics, godly ethics, biblical ethics at stake. And you and I, I'm going to have to choose whether or not I'm going to be faithful to the Word of God and preach what God has, has declared to us or whether I'm going to waffle, just, uh, you know, just uh, sugarcoat. You're going to have to choose whether you're going to overlook things or where you're going to stand. How many of you all with me this morning? But if we're going to fight for the future, then you and I are going to have to stand up and be willing to risk it all. It's happened throughout Scripture. You remember the three Hebrew children and when, when all of a sudden the king Nebuchadnezzar came and he made this idol and said every, the whole land's supposed to bow down at a certain time and, 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 and worship this idol. And if you don't, you know, it's, it's all over for you. But the three, three Hebrew children refused to do it. Right? They stood up. They risked it all because they feared God rather than man. The New, the New Testament church, when it was launched, they threatened the apostles who Jesus had poured into to lead the church, to lead this movement into our day that we're enjoying. And they threatened them. Listen, you can do whatever you want. You can have church if you want to. You can have Bibles if you do. But listen, no more teaching in the name of Jesus. You can, you can talk about God in general. You can go through the Bible. But no more teaching in the name of Jesus. But they said we ought to obey God rather than man. Folks, we're in this way. It's war. It always has been. And we got to wake up to the fact that it's real and it's right before us. And we're going to have to fight for these kids and be willing to risk it all 
and say, God, I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going to do what they need no matter what it costs me. And I thank God for those of you who are doing that. Amen? They're worth it. How many believe they're worth it? So risk it all for the kids. Risk it all for the kids. I'll give you one more thing out of this passage, and that's this. And that's, and it's just, I'm just, I didn't know what other way to say it except this. Just follow God's plan. Look at your neighbor and say, follow God's plan. Lord, help me, I pray. Well, Pharaoh tried to oppress the people, and it didn't work. He oppressed the adults. He made life hard on them, but it didn't work. He tried to use the midwives to rush to the birth side of these babies, and that didn't work. They feared God, and so, you know, just not going to give up. How many know the enemy just, he just won't give up. He just keeps going. One day, though, he's going to be done away with. And so he takes another approach, and this time Pharaoh gave the order to all the people. Everybody was empowered. And he said, every boy that is, that is born you, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Let every girl live. Follow God's plan. Now, that was the rule of the land, okay? Could you imagine that? I want mean, you to think about that for a minute. All of a sudden, you know, it's, it's on the news. It's in the paper. The President of the United States has announced that no boys, no boys are to be born. Any family out here gives birth to a son, neighbors or whoever you see it, your responsibility to take him out. Toss him in the Mississippi River. Can you imagine that? I mean, all right. Fear factor. Create such fear. Threatening them. And in light of that, that's the last verse. That's the last verse of chapter 1. In light of that, okay, it's amazing, astonishing, unbelievable what happens in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. The whole point here is follow God's plan. <laughs> Look at your neighbor again and say, follow God's plan. What was, what was God's plan? A man fell in love with a woman. He married her and they had kids in spite of the environment. They went ahead and had kids. It was in, it's in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 2. It reveals the names. Moses doesn't even, who was the author of, of uh, the Pentateuch, which includes Exodus. He didn't even give his mom and dad's uh, name here. But, um, uh, but he mentions that later in, in chapter 6. He, he tells the name, all right, um, and... Uh, his parents, go ahead and marry. Was it Amram and Jochebed? And they marry Amram Caesar and is like, man, I like her. <laughs> I think I want to spend life with her. They marry, and uh, and and she liked him. They marry and they and they start having kids and and uh, they have Miriam, they have Aaron, and they have they have Moses, and uh, this is all happening right in the middle of this. Folks, let me tell you something. God's plan is still intact. And societies are still being built around the family, which is God's design. Right? So what do we do when even though times are tough, you keep following God's plan. You keep doing. Now, why, why am I saying, Pastor, why are you saying this? This is kind of obvious. I'm telling you, the day that we're living in, and let me, let me speak to the young people here particularly right now. The, any pressure that you might be feeling because of culture today to do something other than God's plan, to prioritize things other than what God's prioritized, you follow God instead of man, okay? Because here's the fact. Here's the reality. 
okay? You take and you talk to girls today in universities across America, and you ask them what they really want to do. They're there to get degrees. They're getting, they're getting education in this and this and this and this. And you ask so many of them what they want to do, and they will, tell, they will say privately, they say, what I really want to do is I want to marry, have, a, have children, build a family and a home. But what's being shoved down their throat is you need to prioritize your, yourself and you need to have an education. You need to go after a career. You need to build your career. Build your career. Is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. And I'm speaking generally, God's plan generally, generally speaking, is for God to pour into fame. There's something, isn't there something in us that naturally, when we're young, that there's something in us that we just, we want to find that person we can spend our life with, right? And we want to marry, and we think about having kids. And I know how you girls are. You're thinking about your wedding, and what it's going to look like, and, and what you're going to wear, and what the colors are going to be, and what you're going to do, what you're not going to do, and what that handsome man is going to be like, and how he's going to just, you know, brush you off your feet. He's going to carry you away in this great chariot. You know, he's your He's your knight in shining armor and all of this, and you got it all worked out, and you're and you're putting and you like somebody and you're putting your name in front of his name and seeing what it sounds like, right? And you're you're thinking about the kids and how many kids you're gonna have. Oh, I hope I have boys, I hope I have girls, oh I hope I don't have any boys, <laughs> oh I hope you whatever, and, and you're thinking about the names and you're writing it all down. Why do you do that? Because it's God's design. And God planned for you, put it in you to want to have a family to value it. You know, it's crazy today. I mean, there was the value of the time. Listen, when we drift away from God, we've drifted away from the things that God has designed us to be and to do. And the farther we drift from Him, the, the farther away that gets. And we try to find fulfillment in other things that the world says, no, 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 no. This is the plan. This is the new way. This is the new age. This is the new model. This is how you do it. And they're not fulfilled. And never will be because God's... God's way is always best. My grandmother was married at 14. Now, I'm not saying I recommend that. But you know what? It was such a day. How do you, how, you, were you 14 when you got married? 14. I'm, I'm sorry, what's your mom's name? I always forget. Francis. Francis, 14. 14 when you got married. 14. Who here, who's here is 14? Who here is 14? Anybody? 13? 14, 15. Well, how old are y'all? <laughs> huh? How old are you? 13? Who's 13? 13? Who's 14? 15, 16? 16? 15. I said 15. Why are you raising your hand? 13 and 15. All right. Y'all are ready. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> There's Terry, man. We got, I got your attention now. <laughs> but I, I'll tell you what, though. I know these girls, and, 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 and these girls carry themselves very well. They're very mature. They're not self-centered. And you all, uh, Jeff and Terry, you've done an incredible job with your family. Um, but they've learned responsibility young. My grandmother and Francis and others like them were running a family when today there's 20-year-old, 28 years old. There's people twice their age that can't do it. Listen, there are differences. I understand. Please don't, don't take what I'm saying out of context, okay? There are some people, even that God has chosen them, that they're going to, that uh, men and women, that they live life as singles, and God has gifted them to do that, and the accomplishments that they make and contributions to society are incredible, outstanding. For the larger portion of society, it involves marriage and building a family, because without that, there is no world, right? So I'm telling you, though, that this culture that's gotten away from God, that's forgotten Joseph, is also along with forgetting him, has pushed away the things of God. And I want to say to you, if you feel in your heart and you know the Lord and you love God and you find, a, girls, you find a godly guy and you want to get married, you know, you talk and you pray with your mom and dad and 
and uh, seek counsel and go into it with eyes wide open and and follow God's plan. No matter what things look like out there. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And that's why this is so important. That's why the enemy has so attacked the family, so attacked the home, he's so attacked, so attacked marriage because, because it's so vitally important. Right? So how did they do that? How did Amram and Jochebed manage to do that? Why would they do that? Because they're God's people and they're trusting in him. They're trusting in him and his power and his protection and in his sovereignty. And they go ahead and they have children. And they believe God to help them. Right? But we're living there again in such a self-centered, narcissistic society. Everybody's just concerned about themselves and they put themselves above family. You know what? Family make you grow up. Having kids make you grow up. Yeah? Lori and I loved those early years when we were on our own. We could do whatever we wanted, when we wanted, no kids to interfere, right? You want to sleep in the morning? Sleep in the morning. We want to go shopping in the middle of the night. We would love going shopping at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning because we own the store. <laughs> There's no waiting in line. I mean, we owned it. We do whatever we wanted. We had fun. There's not the financial pressure. We, had, we earned our first coffee maker. We, weren't, we didn't buy it. We earned it by taking our card to the same uh, gas station day after day, week after week. And we got this card stamped. And after you got so many stamps, you got a free cheap coffee maker. Those were the days. <laughs> kids, we're not ready for kids. You never are. And you never will be. You say, we're not ready. We don't have enough money. You'll never have enough money. God will provide it when you get there. Amen? How are you all with me? I'm just, folks, I'm just telling you. I'm just talking real with you. Those, these things that seem so basic, we've taken them for granted and they've lost their value. And it's what life's all about. Right? My Lord, some of them are waiting so long to get married, and, you know, a third of their life's already gone before they ever get down to business. <laughs> now, if that's you and that's God's plan, that's fine. I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have said it that way, I guess. I apologize. I'm not perfect. God's word is, but I'm not. But um, I hope you hear what I'm saying. Follow God's pattern. Follow God's pattern for your life. And it's going to be in line with Scripture and what he says and what the Spirit's saying to you in God's timing, not the pattern of the world or the world's timing. If God puts it before you to get married at 18 years old, okay, you go for it, baby. If it's not till you're 28, you better wait till it's 28. Rather wait all your life for someone that's right than be stuck with someone all your life that's not right. I'll just say that. <laughs> you should say amen to that. <laughs> that was a bad time to say amen. <laughs> no, amen. How are you glad with who you're stuck with? Yeah, amen. If you're stuck with somebody, you better be glad right now. Amen. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna finish up here, okay? Let me let me finish up. How can how how can we do such a thing? We we live by faith in God and God's plan. Why did, the, why, did, why did the enemy attack the boys? I want to look at, look at this for a minute. Why did the enemy attack the boys? Why did you take the boys out and not the girls? Because God designed, primarily, generally speaking, he designed for the guys to lead. And however the man would go, that's how the family would go. Whatever the faith of the man or faithlessness of the man, that's how the rest of the family would go. The man was the physical strength, all right? The warrior, the one that would go off to war, that would fight, all right, as a protector. You eliminate the men, and, and they, can't, they can't put together a strong army like you would have a strong men physically, all right? That's generally speaking. I know there are some women who are stronger than some men. I get that. Don't take offense to that. All right, some of you probably wouldn't want to arm wrestle, but anyway, that's another story. How do you get it, generally speaking? All right, so he wants to take out the guys because it, because it makes the women vulnerable. And because there's no godly seed. And so he wants some women to intermarry with 
pagans, with unbelievers, so that that community would grow. That's what it's all about. And that was his plan. Because if he can take the guys out, he's destroyed that people group. Okay? Now, that was a mistake. But the enemy made another mistake. He, he underestimated he underestimated the girls. Well, that's still common today, too. That's a good chance for more girls to say amen. <laughs> underestimated the girls. Do you realize in this story of Moses, do you realize how many women came into play here? Huh? But this mom, she did everything she could to hide him for three months. And I know Hebrews talks about both of them did that. But the mom was a real strength here. The primary person while dad was off was the one who had the responsibility of guarding Moses' life, protecting him, taking care of him, doing all those things. It was her that built the, built the, the little ark in the, with the pitch and, and prepared it. It was her that went out there and had to release this three-month-old baby into a crocodile-infested Nile River. It was her that had to let him go. It was a girl, Moses' sister, Miriam, who watched from a distance and wanted to see, and whether that was set up by her mom or not, we don't know, but it was Miriam that was there that would watch and see what happened to him, and she's watching and, and keeping an eye on him and checking out, and it was a woman, it was Pharaoh's daughter who came to bathe, and who was the one when she saw it and heard the baby crying, that God moved upon her compassionate heart and said, bring him out, and said, this is a Hebrew boy, but we're going to save him. And God moved through the women. He's moving through the girls. How many know this is a team effort? That God's moving through men and he's moving through women. He's moving through boys. He's moving through girls. There are no, there are no people who are devalued, unimportant. Everybody has a role to play, significant role to play in the kingdom of God. And each one is different. God, let us be who you created us to be. Amen? And the enemy was no match for God's mighty hand. And I want to I want to I want to leave you something here that I thought Lord showed me some years ago. It's God's hand. That's where we're living by faith. We're walking by faith. We do what we do and we can do it with confidence. We can take leaps, leaps of faith. We can go after things, we can launch after things, we can take risks and feel confident about it. Why? Because we trust the God that we serve who's sovereign, who's all-powerful and all-knowing. Amen. And he's got us. How could this mom confidently how could she release her baby into the Nile except, except that she trusted in the sovereignty of God now, I want you to get this it wasn't until Miriam let go of Moses with her hands that God could begin to move with his hand she released him she had done everything she could. She had poured into him, protected him, loved him, done everything she could, had handed him, handed him off, and God took over. And because of that, Moses could be found crying, and God just orchestrated for Pharaoh's daughter to be passing through and to just so happen to have a compassionate heart and to bring him out and... And, and whether it was God's leading to set Miriam there, that mom said, hey, Miriam, keep an eye on him. And Miriam goes running and say, hey, you know, and she's saving Moses. And, uh, and, and Miriam runs up and say, hey, do you want me to get one of the, the Hebrew moms to take care of him? Oh, that's a great idea, honey. Would you please do that? Sure, I'll be right back. And unbeknownst to her, go get Moses' own mother. Says, here, would you mind raising this baby for me? Well, let me think about it. I'd be glad to. And you know what? We'll pay you from the royal estate. We'll pay you for raising him up. She raised him up and weaned him. And probably the age of five years old or under, probably not more than that. Could have been less. Could have been two years. Could have been three. But somewhere in there, Mama poured into that baby everything she could. She sang over him. She prayed over him. 
she poured into him and she loved him. And you know what? It never left him. And so moms, think about it. And, and let this be moms and dads. Listen, however long. Did you know that a child's personality is formed within the first five years? So don't you give any of that away. Stop it. All these things, people giving it away. People talk about terrible twos. I hope you've not been guilty of saying that. People hear that's terrible. I, don't, I, I reject that. Who said it had to be terrible twos? You say, well, Pastor, you hadn't any kids. Yeah, I had two of them. And we enjoyed every phase. There were challenges in each phase, but we enjoyed every phase. But guess what? Culture is not going to dictate to me what years I'm going to throw away. Because culture says this is going to be terrible too. You're going to have a tough time. Oh man, those teenage years. No, it doesn't have to be that way. Whose report are you going to believe? Where's your faith? Amen? I, I, just, I just jump ahead and say this. Somebody asked me, Pastor, would you pour into us? Would you share with us sometime just some of the things about parenting, whatever? I am not an expert. I, it's by the grace of God. But I'll tell you one thing that you have to get right. One thing you have to get right, or you will never get anything right. And that is, you have to have the right expectations. If you don't start with the right expectations, you're not going to get it. If you expect terrible twos, <laughs> enjoy it, right? But I expect God's intervention. I expect God's hand on them. I expect them to be everything that God wants them to be. Do you? Right? I expect that you're going to be good. Man, that's just what I expect. Maybe you don't, but I do. Amen? So let's follow God and let's win the future. God's mighty hand intervened. And I want you to know, sometimes we're going to have to let go. Moms and dads, we're going to have to let go of those kids. But I'm going to tell you, we'll do everything we can. And we trust God and we have to let go that God will step in and he'll take over. And God raised him up and did an amazing thing. How many of you are glad for what God did through Moses in his life? Amen. Can we give God a hand and uh, thank the Lord for it?